0: Verse 7. We sang some powerful words and heard some powerful words around the supertook of the Lord's Supper. And I want to thank Ed and Tom for sharing those with us. And I have the advantage of knowing what I'm going to say. And so the songs are connecting with me, perhaps more than they're connecting with you as far as the lessons concerned. And some of the things Tom was saying also. It's almost like, well, I should get up and preach first, and then we'll sing all the songs, and we'll connect with what, what we're saying. But I think as you uh, as you remember what was said and the songs we we sang, you'll you'll see this uh, powerful connection with God's word. Robert Louis Stevenson, many of you may have read books, Treasure Island, Kidnapped. He wrote dozens of books. He wrote. When he was thinking about his own death and what should be on his grave, he said, uh, he wrote down, Here lies one who meant well, who tried a little, and failed much. Cecil Rhodes was a businessman who went to Africa. The country of Rhodesia was named after him. He opened up Africa in many ways for the British. And his dying words were... So little done, so much to do. Disappointment in ourselves. I think we can live our lives in such a way as we look back and think about the things that we could do and we didn't do. The things that we did do that we shouldn't have done. And we live really lives that we see a disappointment in ourselves. And then we project that on God and say, surely... God must be disappointed in us too. And I entitled this lesson, The Impossible Made Possible. For three weeks, this was the title of the lesson. For the two weeks ago and last week, and I changed it as I studied. Because this theme just kept coming back to me. There's, a, there's something impossible that God has made possible. We're going to look at that in chapter 1, verse 7. Let me back up to chapter 1, verse 5, just to give us a quick... Review of what we've looked at in chapter one, verse five, um, the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, all of his message is summed up in a sentence. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And I showed there that what what he's trying, John is trying to say here is God reveals himself to us and his revelation of himself is good news to uh, to those of us who have placed their trust in him. And not only did God reveal Himself, He revealed us in His light, in His attitude toward us. And that's a scary thought until we really see what this means, and that's really good news for us also. Then in chapter 1, verse 6, and you can read these later or read them as we're going along, He gives a, a, a statement, and He's really saying this is a ridiculous statement to make. To claim that we have fellowship with God and yet live a life in pretense. We live a life in where, where we don't realize our dependency on God. We, real, we live a life where we try to make it on our own. We try to live up to God's standard. And we do this in so many different ways, uh, various ways, subtle ways. Sometimes you don't even realize what we're doing. We try to measure up either by keeping a religious law, saying, look, look at the good I've done. God, not, not to each other, but to God. God, look at the good I've done. Or conversely, we hold on to our past sins. And this is a struggle I, I find a lot of Christians have. They hang on to their past sins, the sins that God has forgiven, and they say, look at the bad I've done. Or they try to live up to a standard, trying hard to please God, working hard. Look how hard I'm trying. And so all these ways, there's ways we walk in darkness. Live that way, John said, and we live a lie. I'm self-deceived. The truth, the open life before God. Realizing that my entire life is dependent on God. My well-being, my my sins, uh, the way I live my life, the sins being taken care of are dependent on God. And yes, I do try to live to please God. But I live... Not so that he will be pleased with me, but because he's pleased with me. And we're going to get into that as we run through, as we get further in John. Now we're going to come to a positive side in chapter 1, verse 7. And I don't know how else to say that. This is all positive, but maybe what we think is a, a positive side. Of some things we do. There's two things we do. We walk in the light and we confess our sins. If I were to cover both of those, I would be Paul. We'd stay here till midnight. (laughs) So we're only going to cover one half of that. We're going to look at walking in the light. And let's read verse 7 together. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that's a familiar passage to many people, to many Christians. They've, they've, They've come in contact with this and they uh it's it's a beautiful beautiful words and yet at the same time there's some areas that we may struggle in or not understand but boy it's so wonderful and so powerful words that will words that will keep you awake all night i promise you figuratively and literally you know this this thought of light is a theme in the book of John i think John probably uses this more than any other writer Paul does do this some, but John is a strong word picture that he's getting. He's trying to get us to see a word picture walking in the light. And his first statement in the gospel, if you want to turn there, you can. But I'm going to read some quick verses in chapter in John chapter one. His very first opening words bring to memory light in the beginning, he says in John chapter one, verse one, which made uh, anyone who was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. To go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 where those same words are there in the beginning and then right after that the very first words of God let there be light and so these very first words that John uses help uh, brings to memory this concept of light <clears throat> and then let's read verses uh, 3 to, starting in verse 3 through him all things were made talking about God or Jesus without him nothing was made that has been made and then he says in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Let's skip down to verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, speaking of John the Baptist, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we've talked about how that word glory just means the weight, the worth of God. And we see this in the life of Jesus. But glory was often connected with light, the Shekinah light of God. So the word glory often had that concept of light with it. And here Jesus in flesh as a man was the light of the world. We can go down to verse 18 where he says, um, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. God reveals Himself, brings to light Himself through the Son, His Son, Jesus. And then we go back to the first letter of John, and the theme of light is there. He alludes to it in the opening words where he says, uh, That which we have seen, you can only see with light. Uh, that which has been made manifest the light appeared made manifest was came to light we would say and then he goes on and tells you what you've been looking at Jesus in the flesh and then in verse 5 God is light and now in this verse walk in the light now previously we saw what light what walking in the light was not walking in the light is not living a sinless life walking in the light is not living a more sinless than other people. And walking in the light is not living less sinlessly than I previously lived. And you can look at that in verse 7, 8, 9, 10. It all says, sin is a part. The sin nature and the sins I commit are a part of my life as I walk in the light. And we, don't, we have a hard time believing that. But just read the context again. Read what it says. In fact, it is while we walk in the light that our current sins are being taken care of. And the blood of Jesus purifies us of our sins. Trying to live without sin by our own efforts leads to self-deceived lives. If I try and try and try, I'm going to deceive myself, John says. A life which relies on my religious life, the things that I do religiously, just justify myself, I've I become self-justified, I will categorize my sins, I'll begin to say well, this sin is not as bad as this sin I have my misdemeanor sins, I have my felony sins, and as long as I'm in the misdemeanor part, I'm, I'm good with God, that's, that's how our thinking goes many of us, maybe not you, but many of us we, this encourages self-righteousness just living by my own righteousness self-centeredness, instead of relying on God for our righteousness and relying on Him Instead of myself. We have to be so careful. It's so easy for us to have a me-centered gospel instead of a God-centered gospel. The gospel is God-centered from first to last. And we're going to see this more and more. Walking in the light. Well, what does it look like? I think, first of all, walking in the light means living a dependent life on God. I'm going to just go to one scripture. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus is trying to give us an illustration here. He's saying, this is how you live your life in me. And I don't know if it's a parable or an illustration, whatever it is. He gives this illustration of of, of a vine, a grapevine and branches. And then looking at um, down in verse 4 and 5, he says this, remain in me or abide in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. Listen, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Utter dependency. Your walk with God is utter dependency on him. I can do nothing without him. And if we just think, who was that? Rondell last week, wasn't it? Talked about our very breath is dependent on him. And when he was in the hospital dying, literally dying, and thank God he did not die, but just right there at death, he said the next heartbeat was dependent on God. And we don't realize that because it just, it just naturally happens, so we don't never think about it until we come face to face with it. Every breath, every heart, every part of our spiritual being is dependent on God. Nothing we do takes away our past sins. Nothing we do takes away our present sins. Nothing we do will take away our future sins. There's no pretense. This is the second what I think walking in the light means. I don't pretend to myself. I don't pretend to others and I don't pretend to God. He says in this passage, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim that we don't have sins, and this speaks of our weak, sinful nature, this is the nature I'm I'm in. No matter how I see the very things I don't want to do and I do them. Why? It's my weak, sinful nature. It's It's the way I'm made because when Adam sinned and he fell, it just came to the rest of us. And that's who we are. And he says, we can't claim that I'm not that way. I am that way. If we claim we have not sinned, speaks of our particular sins. And we're going to look at that when we get there later on. And so this sentence is is stating this ridiculous supposition. I don't pretend that I don't struggle with sin. And I don't pretend that I don't have a sinful nature. This is who I am. And that's why I need him. That's why I'm dependent on him. The last two we're going to look at in, in, in our next lessons, lesson, lessons. We live, a, walking the light is living a life of repentance. And it's living a life of confession. This is how we live our lives. And that's all I'm going to say except this. When I recognize the sin in my life, I live in such a way, not thrashing myself, not beating myself, not groveling in my sins, bemoaning how sinful I am. But in true repentance, And true confession, and let me tell you this, it has to do with God more than it has to do with me. And we're going to talk about that later. But when it comes to repentance, we twist it around again and we think, I'm repenting. And it's how hard I repent and how much I confess. And it's not about you. It's centered in God. Next lesson. Walking in the the result of walking the light. Two things. Number one, we have fellowship with one another. And, you know, as you look at this verse, this word, fellowship with one another, some people say, well, it's talking about fellowship with God. And some people say it's talking about our fellowship with each other. I think it's talking about both. Because back in chapter and verse three, he says, I'm telling you this uh, you, because we have fellowship with God and we want to have fellowship with you. And so it's both ways. Our fellowship is with God is our fellowship is with each other. And this true fellowship, it can't be exclusive. You can't, have, you can't have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with one another. You can't sit there and say, well, I'll have fellowship with you. I guess it would be very worldly, fellowship with you without that fellowship with God. But the fellowship that we have to be true fellowship is living in harmony out of God's intentions with him and with you, both, both directions. What is fellowship? Fellowship. It's union, it's a partnership with God. I'm in partnership, just like a business partnership, I'm in partnership with God. Uh He's called me into a relationship where His interests, His interests become my interests. What God is interested in, I become interested in. What His desires are become my desires. This participation, this fellowship, is a participation in the life of God. It's a life living. In the heart of God. And that's poetic. But it's, it, that's what it is. It's living in the heart of God. And so what does that mean? Guess what? This letter tells us what that means. As we go through the letter, it's going to tell you what fellowship looks like and how it works together and some very practical things. We just can't get there right now. Unless you want to go to midnight. Our fellowship with one another is based on what God wants, not what I want my fellowship with god and with you is based on what what does god want not what i want again it's god centered it's not me centered and second of all the result of walking in the light is i'm purified from all sin this is this is so neat i don't have time to explain it i'm just going to try and touch on it i don't have words to explain it forget about the time i don't have the words But listen to what he says here. He says, Our sins are purified. The tense of that verse means it's continually purified. It's a continual process. It's not, I'm cleansed one minute, and then I'm dirty in sin the next minute, and then I'm cleansed, and then I'm dirty. It's a continuous cleansing. It says, The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses me. This is effective, this is powerful. This continual washing through the blood of Jesus, it shows His power, what His blood can do for me, and it's a continual washing. When we walk in the light, there's never a moment that you're dirty in sin. And this news is so good that you doubt me. You doubt yourself. How can that be? The songs we sang, I wish I could remember, you know, I wanted to write down the words of many of the songs and the the songs at one point said full atonement can it be question mark full of, talking about myself full atonement can it be full atonement for you yeah i understand that but for me can it be amazing grace we sing that over and over till it becomes rote and and mundane almost I wish there was a better word than amazing. It's, I mean, what, what, else, what else can you say? Amazing grace. When we think about the grace and many of the other songs we sang. And he says our, our sins are purified. What's that word purified mean? We get our, our word catharsis from this. You know what catharsis means? I didn't know what it meant until one day I was working on a golf course. And I was working behind the counter. I was in my mid, uh, late 20s. And the groundskeeper was an ex-Vietnam vet. He was tough as nails. He only hired other vets and ex-cons. And he kept them in line. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he was the meanest guy. He was the toughest guy. And he walks up to the counter one day and says, Hey, you got the newspaper? And I said, sure. And I gave him the newspaper. And he opens it up to the section in the back where there's a bridge puzzle. You know what bridge is? The game, card game bridge? I always thought it was for little old ladies, tea and crumpets and things like that. And here he is looking at that and reading it and he says, mm, I would have made the wrong move. And I said, you play bridge? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, uh, I took it up as a catharsis after Vietnam. Oh, interesting. I went home and looked up in the dictionary. <laughs> I went about and said, hey, what's catharsis, you know? It means a purging, a cleansing, a getting rid of. But this word here in in this language, in the Greek language, means more than just a superficial cleansing, a cleansing that you do yourself. It means bleached. It means all stain removed. It means completely washed out. It's connected to the sacrificial language in the New Testament. It means totally, there's not a stain left, nothing. So you have a dirty white Cloth and you bleach it and it's just sparkling clean. looks new. That's what this word means. And we sit there and say, oh, this is impossible. The impossible made possible here. How God completely purges me of my sin. In this dependent relationship. In this life of no pretense. Not pretending I'm any better than I am. In this life of repentance and confession. I am cleansed. I am cleansed. And listen, this cleansing happens not because I confess and repent. There's no power in that. The power, it says here, is in the blood of Jesus that continually cleanses. Let me give you a quick illustration. I have some keys here, if you don't, can't see them. This is how I live my life. I'm going to pretend my right hand is God my left hand is Satan. And when a child is born... The, if the child died, he, he or she is safe in the hands of God. Somewhere along in life, we, become, we, we realize who we are. We start making the wrong choices. We sin. We become separated from God. This is, a, this is the Bible told in a simple way. And so I would say, well, at that point, I'm in the hands of Satan. Somewhere along the line, again, I come to realize I need God. And I realize that I can't get to God, that God came to me. And in my trust of Him, and just throwing myself on Him in trust, turning from my sins, yes, confessing and being buried with Him in baptism, my sins were washed away, and I'm back in the hands of God. For many years, I lived this way. I'm, I'm pure. I've been washed of my sins. You remember that feeling that you had when you came up out of the water? I still remember that. feeling of being pure. And then... How many hours later? It wasn't days, it was hours. I don't know what I did. Stumped my toes, said a dirty word. I don't know. I'm in the hands of Satan. So I pray this prayer. Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry I did that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm back here. And then I go down the road and I see someone I shouldn't have a lustful thought of over here. Oh, God, please. I'm sorry, forgive me of my sin in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm back here. And then I keep on going down and I. You know, I, I see someone drive by me as I'm walking, brand new car. I'm jealous. I become envious. They have something I don't have. I'm back up here, and then I realize what a sinful thought that was, and I pray, dear God, forgive me my sins in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm back and forth. I'm a schizophrenic. I never know where I am. And literally, literally, this happened to me. I woke up at night. I would every night I'd go to sleep, and I say, dear God, forgive me of my sins as I go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul, will keep. if I should die before I wake, scary thought. I learned at two years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, forgive me, God, as I go to sleep. And I rest in God. And I remember waking up at night and I think, you know, I did not ask God to forgive me of my sins. I, if I would have died in the, my sleep, I would have gone to hell. Dear God, forgive me my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. P.S. Thank you for waking me up and let me pray that prayer. <laughs> I am not kidding you, all right? It shows you how immature I was. And nobody taught me that. It was just, it's just, it's osmosis of our society and what we think of God. It's, it's us projecting ourselves. This is how God would treat me if I were God. So he, this must be how he, this is how I treat other people. You know, I won't forgive you until you come to me and say, Will you forgive me for that? You're unforgiven until you come to me. Unless we really are following God's Word and we're forgiving people the way God forgave us. Back and forth and back and forth. There's no joy in that. I write this so that you, your joy will be complete. And this is the good news. Once I'm in, in the hands of Jesus, once I'm in His blood, I sin... And I never leave. You know, it's hard to believe. But you start thinking, but what are you saying? Forget all Let's Just stay right here in this verse. Later on, we're going to find out that we, that we learn how not to sin. But listen, when you sin, the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin. And you're walking down the street and you do something you shouldn't do. And the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin and then you say something you shouldn't say, and the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sins. and Satan the whole time is saying, hey, hey, look look what she did. Look what he did. And God says the blood of Jesus is more powerful than that. Well, I can believe it for you. I have a hard time believing it for me. How can that happen? How can God forgive me for what I've done when I knew I shouldn't be doing it? And I just need to have the faith... That God's blood is more powerful than my sin. It's not it's not you'll be cleansed and then walk in the light. Notice it you walk in the light and you're cleansed. Get it? As you walk in the light, you're being cleansed. It's not you get yourself clean and then you walk in the light and you start doing the right things and then you're back out again. No, you walk in the light, you're being cleansed. And we're going to see this more and more as we go through First John. It brings us joy. You can know that you have eternal life. We'll explain in later in later lesson how this will help you not sin. If you really grasp this the way you should, you will not sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says this, How much more then Shall the blood of Jesus, blood of Christ, cleanse our conscience? It it wipes our conscience clean. Do you live with a clean conscience? The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. The reality of fellowship with God is this. My sinful self and the sins I commit are exposed in the life of God, in the light of God. And as they're exposed in the light of God... They're continually cleansed. Martin Luther told a... Not Martin Luther Jr., King, but Martin Luther, the Reformation leader, told of a dream he once had where he was sitting in front of Satan. Satan had listed his sins. He wrote them down. And as he wrote down every sin that Martin Luther committed, he never argued. He never explained. He just watched the list get longer longer and when it was finished he reached over with a pen and wrote first 1 John 1 17 he understood he understood your your list of sins may be this long and the blood of Jesus is bigger than that all your sins washed away this is our hope hope meaning I, I know this for sure my hope In God's promise. It's based in God said it, so I believe it. And it's an impossible thing, but I believe it because God said it. Impossible, but through the blood of Jesus made possible. And listen, it's a walk, by the way. As we walk in the light, you know the life life in the Lord really isn't that difficult in comparison to trying to measure up, working hard to measure up. Walking in the light isn't like a salesman who has to do better next month than he did this month. Some of you in sales, you know that? The pressure's on you to do better than you did before. And you feel this constant pressure. I've I've got to perform. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Walking in the light is not that way. It's a walk. Adam walked with God. God has come back in Christ to restore us to that walk. Enoch walked with God. We stroll with God. We rest in God. We walk down this road. Yes, I'm a sinful person. And the blood of Jesus purifies me. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Are you weary? Are you weary of, of just trying and trying and trying? Are you weary, burdened with your sins? Why are you carrying them around? He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Yes, there's a yoke there, but it's not burdensome. He says, you learn from me. I'm gentle, humble of heart, and you will find rest in your soul. If you live your Christian life in frustration, in t- that, you know that tenseness in your stomach? That I'm just, am, I, am I doing it? Am I working hard? Am I, am I, is it there? <sighs> if you can't rest, something's wrong. And it's not on the God side; it's on you, your side. It's something you're doing, some, something in the way you're thinking, that you are you are you're not resting in His work. He did it; you can rest. One thing I like to do as I study a passage, I like to paraphrase it, an expanded paraphrase. And sometimes I share these with you. Often I don't, but I'm going to share. These verses 5 through 7 in my expanded version, okay? Let me read it to you. This is the news, the good news we heard from and saw in the life of Jesus, who is the complete and true revelation of what real life is. Now we ring out this declaration that he, with all authority, commissioned us to proclaim, God is light. In him there is not the slightest speck of darkness. Now suppose we tell everyone we have a partnership, a communion, and relationship with God who is light, and yet we live our lives covering up and hiding, keeping out what God's purity and holiness exposes in our lives. Well, we are lying to ourselves and do not live in the open and revealing light of God. But if our lives, if, but if we live our lives in the open exposure of God's light. His glorious light that penetrates and shows us who we are, that partnership, communion, and relationship with God exist, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, continually whitewashes and cleanses and takes away absolutely all sin in our lives. 1907, King Oscar of Sweden was dying. And when the end was coming very near, his wife leaned over to him, the queen, and she whispered in his ear over and over this verse. Over and over she whispered, First 1 John 1 seven. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. His last words, the dying king said, Thank you, Jesus. That's all you can say. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Do you believe it? I believe it for Charlie. Do you believe it for you? That's where the rubber meets the road. Good news the impossible made possible in Christ. If you're outside of Christ,